pencil in the apocalypse. I gotta get up at five o'clock in the morning and sparkle, Neely, sparkle. I know what some of your big city no bra wearing hairy legged women livers might say. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Maximum Film. It's episode 271, and we aren't even beginning to be done. It's your host, everybody, weighing in the studio with me, all my friends. So let me introduce you to them. First up, it's my friend and fellow co-host, the Christmas Zaddy himself, who is growing stronger every week, Alonzo Duralde. What's good? Well, yeah, you know, if uh, this is the time of year where uh, there are just the little markers that we hit, you know, so like late October rolls around and Hallmark starts, you know, the countdown to Christmas and then, you know, beginning of November hits and Sirius XM gives you like 10,000 different holiday stations. You know, there's the soul station, and the country station and the jazz and the acoustic and the instrumental and the en espanol and en français and, you know, the whole nine yards. And uh, as of today, I've discovered that we have crossed uh, another uh, one of those great, you know, uh, hurdles that we get to on the way to the holidays, and that is uh, uh, Captain Crunch Christmas Crunch is on the shelves uh, at certain locations, and and that for me is one of the great barometers of the season. I look forward to it all year round, and so uh, I plan to run out and get me a couple boxes. Yes, indeed. That's what they mean by the reason for the season, right? Is ca- Captain Crunch Christmas yes, Crunch? It yeah. is. It's true. Yeah. First, yeah, no, first yeah. top of the list. Just yeah. make it sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. A friend on uh, Instagram has already like went ahead and put up their Christmas tree. Like there, nice. there are trees up and I, you know, I turned to Emily. I was like, oh, one of my friends already has a tree up. And she's like, great. Turns out she is a huge Christmas freak. <laughs> so actually, after the record today, we're going to go to Home Depot and Target to get some lights that will be set up on this home and get, uh, you know, all types of festivities. Nice. So. Hey, and look, if you're on Instagram, I'm going to do a quick, quick plug. Dave White does a really great account called DXAX Tree, and it's pictures of all of our christmas stuff not just like the ornaments but also things that go on the shelves records that we pull out like it it is it is up and it is another uh, bellwether of the impending holiday season and it is up and active so check that out if you're into that sort of thing choice Um, most definitely will uh will be using it for inspo as i walk through these (laughs) as i walk through these halls that will soon be decked (laughs) (laughs) all right nice Next up, we have my other fellow co-host, friend, and digital uh, DJ, uh, queen of the Midwest, a producer and festival programmer extraordinaire, Adrea Clark. What is good? My what is good is just a general. You guys know I've been I was gone for a few weeks. Um, I've been in New York City on a mysterious project that. You'll hear about it at some point, and then you'll wish <laughs> I would stop talking about it. Um, but it was a delight. And I have to tell you, I got so, I mean, not to make my what's good about the weather, but you guys, I went to New York in the fall, and oh. it was in the early 70s, crisp sunshine. We were like, shoot, I'm sorry, I was near sunshine. New York. I, it, truly, it was so beautiful. <laughs> I was like, oh, what a city. I mean, I was just <laughs> like every dorky ass, like, stereotype of You're what You're like Francis Lear somebody, in a peacoat. I love truly, Manhattan. Truly. I took my, my uh, Mary Tyler Moore beret from Minneapolis <laughs> and was just flinging it around Fifth Avenue. <laughs> um, but it was so nice. It was, it was a delight. A Excellent. true delight. Mm. 
Ify, what's good? Oh, what's good with me is uh, you know all the dumplings and and, and that I've been eating. So you know mm. I've talked before of my H Mart <laughs> trips, uh, and you know I have uh, I have one of the I'm a big R Place stand. If you aren't using our place, it's a it's they have uh, pots and pans that are nonstick and usually have a color theme. I'm going with the stone theme. They have lavender. Um, but they have really good attachments, and they have the wooden um, steamer attachments that oh, you yeah. use for a dumpling. And so it's been the solid late night snack of just uh, you know boiling up some water, throwing throwing on the you know wood dumpling, the bamboo box, steamer, <laughs> the, the bamboo steamer, and uh, throws throws some of them dumps in there and let that's them get not, heat up. I was going to say maybe our wording. On yeah, that I one. think. Oh, um, that, that's okay. that's yeah. a different kind of late night not activity. Not appetizing. <laughs> well, this is good. I got red bean, uh, chicken curry, the um, the uh, the shallots. It's it's very good. Um, and that's when I learned. And this is definitely uh, you know uh, truly stereotypical gender norm situation where I didn't know on the stove there's a there's a there's one burner that's like always simmer like those the the summer and then there's the quick boil one in the front where like that one so i had it on the simmer one i'm like it's not boiling <laughs> this is taking it forever <laughs> and emily's like that's that's because you you see how it says simmer there and i was like oh i thought that was like guidance you know like oh you can get it to the simmer when you put it, when you put it in there. um now, i i'm impressed by that and also right now i will say in your defense that's less of a gender divide and more of a who runs the kitchen because sure. i could say now if you went back to me for what's good oh today i learned that there's a simmer uh, section <laughs> of my stovetop. So, oh, look, we're definitely gonna have to do a uh, crew dinner. There's been lots oh. of food talk, and we need a we need to let the let the uh, cutting boards and the knives and the plates do some talking. <laughs> and and you know, look, up. not nearly as cool as a dumpling, but uh, those steamers are, are really good for your frozen white castles available in your oh, grocer's freezer. You just blew Mind up my whole <laughs> Come on, world a lot. You don't know, like I, every day it is a recurring addiction I have uh, that I will get into those because when I was younger, we would always take the train to Louisiana mm. because my mom is a, uh, doesn't like flying. She's, she's, she is afraid of heights. She doesn't like flying. So we would always take the train and the Amtrak little mini store that sells food always had those white castle you know steamed burgers and it was and it was everyone's always like it's not as good it's very like soggy but there's something nostalgic about it that i just really like but i would um use the oven sometimes and it would be less soggy and i was like oh this can be good (laughs) did you you, did you not try the white castle setting in the oven Just click uh, over. Yeah. I'll tell you, look, so, some some entrepreneur in Los Angeles is throwing money away because between Southerners who miss Crystal and mm-hmm. Northeasterners who miss White Castle, something akin to those sliders in this city would make a killing. And no one's no one's making it happen. And I want it to be in my mouth right now. Oh, yes, I agree. 
Um, but a solid ending to a conversation yeah. that started with dumps. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of my White Castle addiction, we're going to be talking about a road to recovery with Jennifer Lawrence and Brian Tyree Henry in Causeway. Then we'll nominate Best Movie Buddies to the Hall of Excellence. But first, it's time for Ididic, short for Is This Important? Do I Care? Our movie news segment where we go through the week's movie news and decide as a group if it's important and if we care. Andrea is kicking this one off. I love this as a headline because it more reads like a complaint someone would make. So I'm going to say it that way. Andy Circus thinks there should be a Snoke movie. <laughs> That's how all headlines should be read, I think. All right. Andy Circus is as well known for his CGI roles like Gollum in Lord of the Rings as he is for his human roles. One of those CGI roles was Emperor Snoke, a strange looking overlord who debuted in The Force Awakens as a hologram yelling at Kylo Ren. In an interview last week, Circus said he'd like to ask George Lucas about Snoke's backstory. He elaborated, look, I don't think we've seen enough Snoke. I think people would love to see more Snoke. There's so much fertile ground that has yet to be covered about Snoke. He didn't say those last two words, but it just seems fitting. Is this important? Do you care? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say it's not important and I don't care. And here's why. Because right now, Andy Serkis is involved in one of the best things that the Star Wars universe has ever given us. And that is the series Andor. And one of the things that makes Andor cool, even though it is technically a prequel to Rogue One, is that it is not up its own ass. Like the whole Star Wars franchise of late has been like, what if we had an entire giant universe with an infinite number of planets and yet everything was about the same family and it all took place and a desert dirt water called Tatooine. So like I, I'm over all of that nonsense. So Andor is really cool because it's actually about like, you know, politics and, you know, all these different interesting issues that the Star Wars universe could barely care about. And Andy Serkis is playing a cool role on it. The fact that he's talking about Snoke now makes me worry, oh no, is he going to die before the series, before the season is over? But like, I don't give two shits about Snoke. I want more unexplored different corners of this gigantic universe that have nothing to do with the nine movies. So that's it. It will not surprise you that I'm very much looking forward to November 23rd when the final episode of Andor comes out and (laughs) I can can start marathoning it. Yes. (laughs) Um, What, what, what is interesting to me and important about this story is I really want to think this means that Andy's circus either has a gambling problem or tax evasion issues. And if that is the case, yes, my guy, hunt down George Lucas and be like, I would like a very lucrative spinoff, sir. Because that's Gig, fun for me. You know, why let the A-list names be the ones who get that? Like, take on some money-only roles and make them be CGI heavy. Do you guys remember? I have such distinct thoughts about like when the force awakens come out and we we saw the hologram of snoke yeah and i'm not hugely involved in the discourse around these films or franchises but i definitely remember having like theorizing Ooh, i wonder what when we finally meet snoke in the next one what's gonna be the twist there's something more the droid we seek is aboard the millennium falcon because he the the projection of this hologram was like this enormous entity, and so I was like, "Ooh, it's gonna be so funny." He's gonna be like thimble sized and still terrifying. <laughs> and then the twist was, 
No, he's the exact size of his hologram. It was so yeah, stupid. Yeah. It was so stupid. And also just uh, kind of came and went as a character. Uh, yeah. So I think, it's, I think it's funny because I was like, I do think that people would agree that they want more Snoke because they're like, who was that? We yeah. literally didn't get to meet him. Yeah. But I have to agree with Alonzo that I do not. Uh, yeah. And it's funny. You would think in the era of all the Game of Thrones and high, you know, uh, desire for political dramas that they would jump to this whole world that is built on political drama and then, and then uh, you know, escalates to laser swords. They're like, uh, what if we keep <laughs> rehashing? So yeah, it, it, no, no, keep doing Omdor. People are loving it. I haven't seen it yet, but everyone is, is yeah. raving about it. So yeah, maybe let's focus on that. You know what people wanted more Snoke? Was what? instead of the Emperor Palpatine in the, in the final <laughs> Star Wars. That's when they wanted more Snoke. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, let's keep this ball rolling and talk about the fact that Lionsgate is cooking up a major John Wick video game. Uh, in an investor's earning call last week, Lionsgate CEO John Feltheimer said they've been fielding a lot of proposals to make the lucrative Keanu Reeves franchise into a video game. Nothing's official yet, but it sounded like there's a chance that this wasn't just an empty promise meant to get investors excited, and a John Wick game could be the golden eye of a new millennium. Is this important? Do you care? I think I'm the only one who <laughs> I was going to say it, yeah. I, I, I'm deferring to Iffy on this one mainly because apart from Golden I don't these tie-in games tend to kind of suck you are very correct which is why I do actually have a lot of thoughts on this the tie, uh, tie-in movie games yeah are historically sucky and I'm not uh, giving E.T. Any, for Atari anyone yeah I, mean, I get no confidence by saying uh, by seeing John Wick can be the golden eye uh, you know of the new millennium because that's not the aspect of John Wick that I would love to live in as a gamer like it would need to be a a like adventure type you know I don't want to say like a Zelda but even like a Disco Elysium where you kind of live in this world because I think that's the most exciting and unexplored part of the John Wick universe is this like assassins club. So I don't want to play as John Wick. Let me be an assassin built from that and do it. But I don't want it to be a first person shooter. I don't like we have way too many of those. Like, And I say that as someone who like primarily plays. There's just too many. And it, it and it's just like have get more creative. And and I say this because, you know, Games like Disco Elysium have changed what it means to be a video game because at its core, it is really just kind of like your point-and-click adventure games that we all used to remember, like Monkey Island. But it, like, changes what it means to be a video game, and it's and it's deep with lore, and it's a lot of reading <laughs> because, it's, because it is written by a, a, a novelist. Uh, so if they do do a game, it's going to depend on the the people producing it not necessarily Lionsgate's fact in it because Lionsgate definitely let you know Epic put John Wick into Fortnite so like I really don't they don't care they're just chasing the money <laughs> I, I would in a John Wick game I would want to be one of the tattooed women who like runs yes. the switchboard and uses the pneumatic tubes to send mm -hmm. messages um in any world I would like to be <laughs> one of the tattooed women who runs the yeah. switchboard um the irony of this is 
John Wick, one of its strengths is that it, it was this original IP and that it took a lot of things that felt video game-esque. Like, mm-hmm. the uh, the amount of carnage, how many people he's shooting, like, the, the quickness of those things. So, retrofitting that back into a game, it's like, ah, I feel like you didn't fully... Uh, get what we were doing here but i agree with you the 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 true standout of it is the world building um and they're they're obviously as a franchise growing on that there's an ana de armas um, movie called ballerina set in this world mm-hmm. that's a sort of spinoff but the continental tv show is coming out and mm, right. i agree like this idea of like when you got to that hotel and was like what are these coins why are there weird rules Who's this guy? There's a whole other room with hidden arms. Like those things are fascinating and it's much more than the shooting itself. Although again, I can't say this enough. I've played one video game and it's duck hunt. And so honestly, I might do okay at a John Wick game. I might duck hunt might've set me on the path. Yeah. Could it be more like Katamari Damacy? Cause that's really all Ooh, I've got. That's yeah. the only one I know. Uh, so this is a very big deal in certain corners of the Christmas internet. If you've ever watched uh, A Muppet Christmas Carol on VHS, uh, after having seen it in a theater, you might have wondered, hey, what happened to that song in the Christmas Past segment called When Love Is Gone? Uh, if, however, you've watched Muppet Christmas Carol on DVD or Disney Plus and don't know what I'm talking about, uh, that's because the song was removed from all of these editions uh, because Disney thought kids wouldn't like it. But now the song is going to be restored to the Disney Plus version. And starting December 9th, you can enjoy the film as God and director Brian Henson originally intended. <laughs> Ended. Is this important? Do you care? Uh, first question, Alonzo. I'm yes. assuming you are very familiar with When Love Is Gone. Here's no? the thing. Yeah? I saw Muppet Christmas Carol when it opened in theaters in the 90s, and Brag. I was no longer a child, and uh, it's never been my favorite, either Muppet movie or Christmas Carol movie, so uh, I don't have a great retention of that stuff. But I do know that for a lot of people who grew up with this movie and who are super fans of it, this has been something of a holy grail. Like, I think it's on the soundtrack, but it was, you know, after the theatrical version, it wasn't on VHS, it's been missing from Disney+. Plus. So in recent years, it has come back to, like, Blu-ray, and now it's going to be on the Disney Plus version. So as a completist in general, and somebody Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. who is a big fan of like director's cuts and restorations and that kind of thing. I am glad that the whole Muppet Christmas Carol is now easily accessible for folks and that for a whole new generation of film goers, they'll never know that there was a version that didn't have this. I like knowing where Disney was going to draw the line because that line <laughs> was nowhere near racist crows, but it was near the adult content of a love song between Michael Caine and Meredith Braun. Oh, <laughs> Yep. You choose yeah. you choose your air your line, you know, your line in the sand. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful or you may regret the choice you make someday when love is gone. Well, on that note, we're gonna take a break, but when we come back we'll be talking about the causeway on causeway. Hi, I'm Jackie Cation. Hello, I'm Lori Kilmerton. We do a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show, and you could listen to it anytime you want it because there's 
hundreds of episodes. Yeah, I mean, we've been doing comedy forever and we should both quit. So why don't you listen up <laughs> before we leave this not only terrible business, but this awful world. And find out why we can't. Because we love it so. <laughs> Jackie and Lori Show, every week here on MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Vivi Way In the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Alonzo Duralde. And today's movie comes from A24 and Apple TV Plus and is the feature debut of director Lila Neugbauer. Set in New Orleans, it stars Jennifer Lawrence and Brian Tyree Henry. So, Drea, would you mind giving us a brief synopsis of Causeway? All right. So, in Causeway, we are primarily following Lindsay, uh, the Jennifer Lawrence character, who's a U.S. soldier and is in recovery from a traumatic brain injury acquired in a tour in Afghanistan. She is forced back home to New Orleans um, and is living in her childhood home. And all of the memories and associations that home holds. Um, so as she recovers mentally, physically, spiritually, and elsewise, um, she meets a man played by um, our best friend. He doesn't know it, but he is Brian Tyree Henry, um, who is struggling and recovering from different things in his own way. And yeah, they strike up a friendship and relationship and um, she is pushing to get back to Afghanistan. If you want to know where her head is, Causeway. <laughs> that was wild, and I definitely want to talk about the the two leads. You know, their characters, their performances. You know, uh, Brian Tyree, I knew was going to bring it um, because you know he's in Atlanta and he's good. And if you ever see the way Brian Tyree Henry, you know, talks in interviews versus like the doughboy voice, I had no, uh, you know, no qualms. Now it's very interesting because uh, you know I'm not a regional boy. Uh, you know, there's two regions that that I really kind of have three if you count Nigeria, but Los Angeles, which has its own kind of interesting accent, uh, but New Orleans, which has a very kind of a distinct drawl. And, um, you know, I'm very curious just to kick this off of us, uh, of how we feel with, uh, you know, J-Law, lover, choosing to just forego. Do we feel like she was, you know, swinging at an accent or do we choose... Uh I think so much of the character is about not w wanting to be there, yeah. wanting to get away from her upbringing, wanting to get away from her mom, that she seems like somebody who left early and did everything possible to sort of erase any vestiges of that. So, yeah, I don't <laughs> I, I but my go to now for the bad New Orleans accent is that character that Heidi Gardner does occasionally on, on SNL. <laughs> Have you been to Nolan's? <laughs> Because in Nolan's, everyone's doing it their own way. You were there for two days. Oh, my God. You've got mm. to go to mm. Nolan's. <laughs> you know, it is filled with juicy jazz and squalling trumpets and tiny, tiny little crawdaddies. You put Paris in a swamp, and that's Nolan's in a nutshell, baby. <laughs> Can we get the check? Yeah. So, no, I think she's very much not going for that. Yeah, it felt very intentional to me that she didn't have that i got i was like oh the minute you're starting to learn more about this woman i'm like oh she definitely enlisted when she was 18 <laughs> she was like get me out of here and then also was like intentionally trying to you know 
smooth down her edges. That's a lot of people when they move and they're like, oh, you don't sound like you're from Minnesota anymore. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I, I sure can. Um, so I did get that. How did you think Brian's accent was? I thought it was fine. It was very like in that kind of base because I feel like there is like a general tone for like, you know, black Southern people. I feel like when it gets real wild in New Orleans, it, it is specifically with white people, which is why I like looked in because you have that like Cajun, like very, right. you know, guarantee. yeah. <laughs> it, it, and so, so that's what, it, and, and I was kind of giving that too, but you know, because my mom left when she was 18. Same thing. She like was like, I got to get up out of here. But boy, oh boy, Theodore. Uh, sounds like a Theodora. Uh. <laughs> I'll say, obviously, you know, what I know of this region's accent is from True Blood, so I'm basically an expert. <laughs> but at the end, like, it really didn't, like, I wasn't, like, it didn't stick out to me, which mm. was important. And I do think the same thing, like, it is, like, when we learn about her running away from this and trying to leave behind and just never come back. It was um, it, it was very interesting. But then there's an interesting check-in that we eventually get to that I needly, immediately knew I had to go uh, look at Drea. Uh, how, how, did, how was this for you? Like in terms of a story of addiction and this oh, one sure. is mm, we always, this one is someone directly it's less about the person with the addiction and yeah of the person dealing who with someone dealing who with loves someone. an addict yeah mm-hmm. and or has someone that they love who's addicted you guys people love to work those through i'll say this was again it was it was buried in there and it's it's part of this movie is so much about excavation of what's going on with these characters there's it's it's I mean, I'm sure all of the descriptors of it, oh, it's quiet and it's this small movie. And I think that it feels even more small, strangely, because of Jennifer Lawrence's presence. Like, she's such an A-list marquee movie star. And she doesn't get to do a lot of work like this, even though she obviously very much histor- started here. Like, yeah. her Winter's Bone mm-hmm. performance, This a lot of people, I'm sure, are comparing to this. Um, and so you get a... You keep, I was kind of, I kept waiting. I was like, are there going to be, are the aliens landing soon? Or like, (laughs) when's this going to become a Jennifer Lawrence film? Like, oh, is this actually, are we in um, colonial times? Like, what's going on? And (laughs) no, it is a character study where these people who have layers and layers of trauma and history and dramatic things that have happened to them are revealing them to us, to each other, to themselves. Um, And so the addiction storyline in terms of growing up near it, um, which I didn't grow up near addiction, just to to clarify for my own, um, for anyone interested in what I talk about, but there is something of, oh, it is formative of, of if you are around an addict and you're braced for that all the time or you're worried about all that time, it made a lot of sense for that additional layer to her character. And I thought it was handled just enough. Like we have like just enough of a meeting of of what that looked like in her life and where that reveal led to. Um, but it also always keeps it centered on these two and what they've gone through. And I think... I think the other reason the accent stuff is sort of inconsequential because they are so rooted. Like these are actors who are like, oh, it's molecular. There's no, I'm not seeing the shades. I'm not like, oh, are they trying to remember their lines? This like, you're, they're just two people fully embodied and so connecting with each other, Um, which is, I freaking love watching that you guys. 
Freaking, well, you know, freaking love it. <laughs> Lila Neubauer, this is her first film after yeah. a, a distinguished stage career. And a lot of times when we look at first films from theatrical filmmakers, you know, the word stagey is summoned because they feel very like trapped in these rooms. And while I think there's a visual fluidity to the film, the way the camera moves, the locations, all that stuff, there is a staginess to it in that pretty much every scene in this movie is two people talking to each other. Like there's maybe like the, there's that one moment where the two of them are like in the bar or the diner or whatever. And the third guy comes in and is, is being a pain in the ass and they get rid of him. But like literally the entire movie is like Jennifer Lawrence talks to her mom. Jennifer Lawrence talks to Brian Tyree Henry. Jennifer Lawrence talks to her doctor. And so, you know, it, you could almost see that somebody could do this as a stage play with like Certainly. two chairs on the stage. And we we'd be left to fill in the swimming pool or the park bench or whatever it is that they're doing so on that level it it does feel like this is the kind of movie that a theater person would make but as such they are they're really good at you know getting these performances uh out of you know these extraordinary actors and a really good deep bench of character actors here you've got your jane hudeshells your linda Emons, you know uh the screenplay is by uh, a trio of writers who I think sort of passed it off between them, but Elizabeth Sanders, Luke Goebel, and Otessa Moshve. Um, but, you know, it, it does have that feeling of like a stage piece because there's so few people on screen at a time. Yeah. But, it, but like you said, to her credit as a director, it doesn't feel stagnant. Like, no, we've no, no, watched, not at all. So, and it's not a stage adaptation of a play, or sorry, a theatrical adaptation of a play, but we've seen those, and it is sure. that like, oh, cool, you're really shooting this. And this was, I'm like, oh, no, I, I felt this city. I texted one of my best friends, Tessa, who lives there, and was like, I'm very disappointed you never explained to me a snow cone is called a snowball. Like, <laughs> I was getting actual texture and flavor not just of new orleans but like the area that they were in and that's something that would not be coming across if it was one of those like er this is a really (laughs) enclosed film it's it's not it's not like the joke edward albee tells about you know somebody else got a screenplay adaptation credit and an oscar nomination for who's afraid of virginia wolf and he goes yeah that guy wrote let's go to the roadhouse and let's go back from the roadhouse (laughs) Uh, (laughs) what did you guys think of so we we find out sort of midway through ish that Jennifer Lawrence's character is gay, and I know she worked with um, another like they had a consultant on this who was a military veteran who's gay herself, and and it's it's really interesting how her sexuality is is and isn't um, weaponized in this movie because. She says it, and it's sort of matter of fact. It's again, it's just another one of those layers that they're revealing to each other. Um, in this sort of, you know, they're they're seeking a really unexpected level of honesty for two people who are absolute strangers just a few days before this starts. Um, but then it also comes back into play because there's a moment of tension between them. It's I'm whatever. I feel like this is interesting enough to talk about. It was probably a spoiler, but it's Causeway. There are no aliens, I promise. I'm not going to be no. spoiling anything for you on this. But where the tension moment, awkwardness moment and she kisses him. And I I found it really I was like, "Oh, I feel like I could think about that for so long of both the knee-jerk thing of it's all set in motion cuz like Alonzo said some 
idiot comes and hits on her when they're together. And she's like, yeah, I have a boyfriend. And then she's clarifying that. So I just, there were all these things like, oh, that is like, every woman I know has deployed the imaginary boyfriend. Like, (laughs) everyone's like, yeah, I know you're not going to listen if I say I'm not interested. So let me make up a man that's going to care, you know, that to follow that through, there was actually, there was really no need to talk about her sexuality. There was no need for any of that. It was just something else that was part of it yeah i mean it it, to me felt like a very as you said a very matter of fact very straightforward disclosure which i liked and and i like the fact that 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 the movie isn't about that it's just a thing that we learn about her along the way i think that it does diffuse the tension in terms of audience expectation and maybe also the brian tyree henry character expectation of like oh this is we are this is this and it's not going to be anything else you know and so I think that's that's a kind of a good sort of declaration of terms just because they are spending all this time together. And, you know, maybe he is wondering, like, is he, are we, is this a, you know, and I think that immediately is like, no, 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 we're just, you know, we're, we're, we're bonding on these other levels. And this is, you know, we, we are forming this relationship based on other things. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think that was really interesting to kind of watch and i think so too because i think up until that point you know there is a a compassion and a tenderness that would make you think like oh is this a romance and so we kind of get that out the way dead that and then i think it makes that moment so much more impactful and you feel confused along with brian and you understand why he's confused and you understand but in this at the same time you understand why she was just like i don't know this felt like that you know it's just it felt very real in that moment because i think there is this version of uh you know queerness that is often portrayed in media that's just black and white either you're gay and you and you're just you only like you know the same sex or you're straight and and so to have that and and to just live with that and then they kind of move past that i thought was very interesting it's nice too because it's such a reflection on the absence in our world of expressing tenderness with people um, mm. or, or being intimate in, in ways that aren't romantic or aren't sexual. And to watch this friendship, stu- like I say character study, but because you are getting a lot about these two people as individuals, but watching two people come together, not for reasons of falling in love, not for like, oh, this is going to be a happy ending in the way that we've been told happy endings, especially between men and women should look the idea that it it really means so much it's so significant to people to connect and to have those it's mercurial right you don't have that a lot in this world that strange unexpected like oh i met this person and we've like right at this moment in time they are speaking to me or fulfilling something to me in a way that no one else is and and it's also it's not just this place in time, but because of the people we are. And I, I really liked that. I totally agree in terms of it takes some air out of the tires in terms of, oh, are they going to fall in love? Because I would have truly been disappointed if they had. I mean, good for them if they had whatever fine love. Love is love, I guess. <laughs> but it's big of you. <laughs> I think the uniqueness of it, of of having that kind of thing especially for two characters who are so intentionally guarded who have these walls up and and for me like just being informed of her being 
um, a gay woman in the military and, and what that means. And I also, I don't know. Do we know when this was set? Because I feel like she there was like flip phones galore and, you know, Af- Afghanistan, I mean, I guess... Could be any number of times in the past thousand years that we've had people in Afghanistan, but... True. Yeah, I didn't actually... I wasn't really... I didn't have my my feelers out for clues there, so I'm not sure. Yeah. I only asked that because I I truly was like, is this... Is this a... Are we anywhere near a... Before or after Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Exactly. Because, like, that also tells me a lot of of who this woman is and what she's navigating and, and all of those things, so... I mean, like, was there even a specific reference to whether or not Katrina had happened? I'm trying to remember now. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it may be incidental. It was just, there is, like Marissa mentioned, there's a whole scene about CDs, and we don't see enough oh, of that. Oh, that's true. We yes, don't see I, enough of that in movies. But yeah. he, he mentioned something about it being, like, old school or whatever. Right. But how old school? How old school, exactly. Someone please do a deep dive <laughs> and do that authenticating that they do, like, with fossils to tell me what year Carbon you dating. think this was set. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know. I was, <laughs> I was thinking the same thing because I'm like, yeah. You know, because we're also talking about Afghanistan, right? And, and being deployed. And I was like, would you go to Afghanistan right now? Is it? Is it? Well, well not that, now you wouldn't because, I mean, but out, that's literally yeah. just since Biden. That's only been. Yeah. I say not now you I'm sure some, there's plenty of people still in Afghanistan. No, but yeah. like my brother did two tours in Afghanistan, but it was, you know six or seven years i don't know i have no sense of time anymore since the pandemic so don't quote me on that but it was sometime since i've been an adult how's that and i'm a young (laughs) young woman as you guys know. that's true um yeah so i'll have just to circle back to my last thing just to touch upon did Hmm. what did you guys were you happy to see jennifer lawrence in a small movie like this again like raw acting no makeup no yeah. Chris Pratt. Look, she yeah, it's always a plus. No, I like she's somebody who I think you're right. She she did come from that and then, you know, obviously has has taken off in in a lot of different directions. Like she was a YA franchise lead, but she was also like, you know, uh, doing a lot of, you know, very sort of awards friendly David O. Russell kind of movies and, you know, mother and and uh so I'm down for whatever she wants to do. You know, I, I think it's gonna be, you know, she was she was an X Man for God's sake. So yeah, I, I think pretty much I will I'm I'm willing to follow where Wherever she wants to go so yeah the it's always i think great when people have you know their careers have t- have put them in that place where they do a lot of you know cg or you know like uh uh like they they wear a lot of couture to see them in an entire movie where it's yeah no makeup and a sweatshirt yeah do it why not you're like awards i'll say too she's done a lot of interesting press that i encourage people to check out she's a producer on this film mm-hmm. and and said these whole things she very famously left CAA, her agency, um, a few years ago and was like, yeah, these scripts were never getting to me. Like all of these (laughs) sort of auteur or indie or um, exciting boundary pushing directors were doing work that I was and asking about me and I was never hearing about it because your representation are gatekeepers. Well, friend of the show, Kyle Buchanan, had a great New York Times interview with her that people should check out, uh, where she said, yeah, I was going to play uh, uh, Elizabeth Holmes in an Adam McKay movie, and then I saw uh, Amanda Seyfried. I was like, 
No, I'm not doing that. It's been done. We're good. We're covered. Yeah. We don't need me to do this. I just like the idea of uh, what I think of as a nice ballsy actress and woman and woman about town is Jennifer Lawrence um, having a, a stronger hand in, in yes. what the project she's choosing. I'm excited Absolutely. to see what she does next. Vote, 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 vote. vote. <laughs> uh, I will say, I mean, unless we have to f- explain it to listeners, we don't have a guest to tell we, that our, our our levels are screen it, stream it, and skip it. Uh, <laughs> I'm a screen it for this um, because, you know, I uh, this is when we talk about, you know, the kind of adult drama that studios don't make anymore that used to be, uh, used to play a much bigger role uh, in the, you know, the year-end box office and that kind of thing that, that have all but been shoved off to the side where even a movie like Banshees of Inisherin is sort of struggling to make decent numbers and Tar isn't even doing that well. Uh, yes, are most people going to see this on Apple TV Plus? Fine. Yes, they are. But at least they're going to see it. And uh, and, and I, I think that you know these actors are doing really great work here. Um, yes. I'm also a screen it. Uh, there is... I'll say I had, a, I was like, oh, I'm tired. Should I start this movie now? Should I wait till tomorrow? Because I had that, I love a slow movie that's just sort of gazing in the middle distance. That is not this movie. This movie may be quiet and smaller, but it's cranking along. It's got a yeah. lot of ground to cover, a lot of things to reveal, a lot of whatever. So if you are trepidatious about that, fear not, dig in, enjoy it. Um, there, There is a, the, the catharsis of this and the character arc where she lands on a moment at the very end and says this thing of like what she's revealed about herself. She doesn't say that on the nose. I was aghast. I was like, <gasps> like therapy. Like I was like, oh my God, she went through therapy and I didn't even realize that. this is amazing. <laughs> and yeah. I, I love that kind of feeling. And yeah. 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 I am also, uh, you know, uh, screen it. It's yeah. It, also, just these gorgeous kind of shots and moments in New Orleans was great and felt mm. like home to me. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, heavy leaning on like the bounce music, which is great. And then you get some of that like nice, uh, like that nice live music. That was my only thing. I was like, well, when they're at the snow cone shot and that music was playing, I was like, that music is just live everywhere. You just go. No one would be playing that because you could just go get it. But it's um, I'm, it's called a snowball. If you. <laughs> but uh but I was like, but I like getting this in the movie so people know like about this. It's like one of the favorite, uh, one of my favorite moments about going to Mardi Gras, uh, besides getting shit faced, uh, is uh, just the live music that's out there. And I highly push anyone who goes to New Orleans to just go, you know, people shit on bourbon. It is stanky and wild, but there's a lot of live music there that you can like really see. And it's really uh, it's really fun. And you, you mentioned the cinematography. I want to give a quick shout out. Diego Garcia, who shot this film, also did Neon Bull and Cemetery of Splendor along with uh, Wildlife. So he is Ooh. he knows his stuff. All right. The Spirit Awards nominated Diego Garcia. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Drea herself uh, ran into the newsroom shaking the disc. <laughs> you know that new look you've been looking for? <laughs> your cousin Marvin Garcia (laughs) (laughs) all right well we'll be right back after we hear from another show from Maximum Fun so stay right there hi it's Jesse Thorne the founder of Maximum Fun I am breaking into this programming to say thank you 
to Max Fund's members. Your purchases in this year's Post Max Fund Drive patch sale raised over $50,000 for Trans Lifeline. Maybe you already know about the good work that Trans Lifeline does. If you don't, they're a trans-run organization that offers direct emotional and financial support to trans people in crisis. If you want to learn more about the work Trans Lifeline does or support them further, go to translifeline.org. Thanks for supporting Maximum Fun. Thanks for supporting Trans Lifeline. And thanks for being awesome people who want to do good in the world. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm Yosef Iwadiwe. In the studio with me are Alonzo Duralde, Treya Clark. And it's time once again for us to nominate some stuff from the movies to our hallowed hall of excellence. Today's movie focuses on what I guess you might call an unlikely friendship. And so today's hall of excellence category is best movie buddies, comma, duo. Now we know from past experience that the order we go in is a factor here. So does anybody want to snake that first position and go ahead and nominate a pair of movie buddies first? Oh, sure. Why not? Uh, and I, I think unlike, uh, I forget which one, but I don't think I'm going to be Orson Welles. The- uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. I was trying to remember your previous one. There was, no, there was, you know, that was, but there was one that I had where I went first. I was like, oh, damn it. That was mine. Everybody had to scramble. And but now I can't remember <laughs> what it was. Anyway. Uh, so w- when I was thinking about this, the first ones that came to mind is sort of like mismatched, you know, people usually on a road trip. They're all rom-coms. So it's like they were, you know, by the end of the movie, they're lovers. And uh, one of the cool <laughs> things about Causeway is that they are not lovers. And so I wanted to think about like actual friendships. And so, uh, I, I could have gone older probably on this one, but I'm going to take us back to uh, the distant year of 1988, and that would be Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin in Midnight Run, uh, a movie about a bounty hunter and a mob accountant who couldn't hate each other more and couldn't be more actively trying to undermine the other person's mission, namely that Robert De Niro is trying to bring in uh, Grodin, and Grodin is trying not to be brought in, uh, but there incredible like joint prickliness <laughs> you know because a lot of times I think there's like the nice guy and there's the, the the mean one but like no these are both assholes and the way they bounce <laughs> off each other and sort of through through just torturous effort finally find some middle ground by the end where they do have kind of this grudging mutual affection is a lot of fun I think it's a really terrific movie that you know comes up in conversations like these but not nearly enough so yeah midnight run Charles Grodin, Ooh. hubba hubba, hubba hubba forever. <laughs> and he I don't loves. just say that because Charles Grodin in The Great Muppet Caper was formative for this guy. Uh-huh. Formative. The um, first time it happens, you uh, know. That dream boat. Okay, I have one, um, I, and which is good because I know that's our job here. So <laughs> mine is from a French uh, a French director, mm. um, and those that unlikely duo would be Leon, the professional, <laughs> and Matilda. Um, so Jean Renault and Natalie Portman. He plays a hitman. Um, she plays the like prepubescent girl whose family is murdered, and he takes under his hitman wing and teaches hitman ways. And it is that kind of. Um, I give credit that there is 
nothing flirtatious or gross about their relationship because <laughs> almost sad that that's shocking to me. So good for them. <laughs> um, that she gets to be outlandish and inquisitive and all sorts of things, but isn't like precocious, if that mm. makes sense. Like there's not an adorableness to her. She is traumatized and then trying to figure out a new path. And they have genuine, wonderful rapport and great chemistry. And he is like, go away. I'm a killer. And she's like, oh, sir, you are responsible for me now. And I very much enjoy it. And I think it is, uh, I think it's worthy of being in the whole hall of excellence. If I do Ooh. say so myself. It's, it's the official movie of Bring Your Daughter to Work Day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ify, well, what you got? Well, you know, there's obviously a movie I need to get into the Hall of Excellence some way, somehow. And, you know, I, I had to wait for the right moment. And it was this, this moment... I believe is now because for for I think not only oh, I know do you exactly have to what be you're doing best yeah. movie buddies and I think you know we often talk about you know thing people you think would have a romantic partnership but they don't in the end and that makes it a great choice and these people work so well together that they can operate a giant robot called a Jaeger together. So of course it's going to be Raleigh Beckett and Mako Mori, uh, best movie buddies from Pacific Rim, uh, you know, demonstrably so, as they save the world from its extinction. If they save mankind. I, 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 I really truly hoping... was like, you're definitely going to do the dude and Walter subject, and you're probably going to win, but you're like, you know what? I'm uninterested in winning. <laughs> what I want is to get Pacific Stupid Rim on the board. <laughs> I, I was hoping That's it was going to be... official middle name. That's I an was, unofficial middle name. I was hoping it was going to be Eddie Murphy and Della Reese and Harlem Knights. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, I that would vote so, for that. Oh, yes. Jeez Louise, what a... <laughs> Oh, 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 yes. Who would Judy be oh. with? Oh, my God. Okay, so yeah. these these are the ones that the audience gets to vote on. Yes, yes. 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 They get to vote. Don't and no write-ins yeah, this yeah, yeah. time, Marissa. <laughs> get out of here, unless you put that in is, uh, been... Eddie Murphy and Della Reese. Just kidding. <laughs> no write-ins. Yeah, yeah. So now it's your turn to weigh in. So go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Maximum Film and cast your vote by next week. And that will determine which of those pair of movie buddies gets lifted up into those Hall of Excellence rafters. Now, Maximum Filmers, you know what I want. Let me have this. Let's move on. So creepy. <laughs> and what's that I hear in the distance? Is it the tinkling of sleigh bells? Guess that means it's time for the Christmas movie minute. Alonzo gets one minute to discuss every Christmas movie he saw this past week. So, Alonzo, are you ready to wow us? Okay, the lists are getting longer, but here goes. Sure. Okay, so starting off with uh, Ghost of Christmas Always, which was a shockingly well done uh, spin on uh, A Christmas Carol, and actually I think kind of bites the rhyme or, or steals the thunder, however you will, of Spirited, which came out in a few weeks. So, you know, you've got that to live up to, Spirited, because they did it right on Hallmark. Uh, Catering Christmas on Hulu, it was a gaff movie. Terrible. Uh, Navidad and Evergreen on Peacock, you can actually watch Hallmark movies dubbed into Spanish. So I had to go back and look at Christmas and Evergreen. Still a hoot and even more fun in Spanish. Uh, Magic Christmas Village, uh, possibly the last of the uh, uh, Luke McFarlane movies for uh, Hallmark. 
kind of dopey, but he and Allison Sweeney have some nice chemistry. Uh, Lights, Camera, Christmas, a very smart movie about the making of Hallmark Christmas movies. It gets meta. It's a lot of fun. And Kimberly Sustead is one of the comedic champs of this channel. Maple Valley Christmas, another movies and mysteries that is just very kind of eh, even with Andrew Walker. Menorah in the middle. Uh, Adam Bush deserves to be a lead in one of these and hopefully in a better movie than this. Merry Swissmas, uh, nice location stuff with Jody Sweet and plenty of snow. And Unperfect Christmas, which kind of a hot mess, but David Pernard is a name to watch. You did it! Ooh, yes! Um, Adam Bush is a friend of mine. He should come on the show. Oh, for sure. Yeah, oh, he's but... he's like the romantic lead's brother in this one. And oh, uh, I, th- always I think the he brother, needs to, never the romance. He, he needs to be second on the call sheet behind the lady. Yes. Ooh, firm but fair. Good job, Alonzo. Thanks. Yes. And look, I, I, it's only getting crazier from here. Like, I, and, oh and look, there were there were Lifetime and Up movies from this weekend I didn't even get to yet. And it only gets more packed as the weeks pass. So I'll do my best to get cram them all into that minute. Oh, we have such faith in you, guys. <laughs> yeah, we we really do. do. <laughs> Ify and I are so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, now it's time for staff picks. It could be any movie at all. Who wants to start? Um, I'm going to start because, funny enough, Alonzo, knowingly or not, actually mentioned my staff pick. And that is, you guys, I loved the Banshees of Inishirid so much. Ah. I, it's Martin McDonough. Uh, if you saw it in Brute, you'll get it. If you saw Three Billboards, don't even worry about it. Just go watch the Banshees <laughs> of Inishirin. I was down for it. There is an old hag crone woman who's absolute <laughs> life goals for me now. Um, every single person in this is phenomenal. Like you'll, st- it, the second the camera lands on Colin Farrell's face, you're like, he's so handsome. And then he talks, and you're like, what a dipshit. And it's <laughs> such beautiful character work, and it's increasingly dark and twisted. And you know. All I want is any movie that recognizes the reality of our world, which is, in the absence of women, men are morons. And (laughs) this movie delivers in that department. So I had a very enjoyable time. It will also be bloodier than you're expecting. Yeah. Just just to warn you. Good, good stuff. Um, so I wanted to keep the Brian Tyree Henry train rolling and uh, a movie that I think is great and, you know, I think has been universally acknowledged as being a modern classic. It won at least one Academy Award and yet I think somewhat, uh, you know, is hidden in the massive shadow cast by the director's previous movie. I'm talking about If Beale Street Could Talk, um, which I think that because Moonlight became such a major sort of generational touchstone for so many people and a film that's had such lasting impact that we don't talk as much about Barry Jenkins's follow-up, which is the extraordinary If Beale Street Could Talk, and Brian Tyree Henry gives an amazing performance in it, and that was one of those moments where I was like, this guy, this guy I'm going to be paying attention to for the rest of his career because he just really pops um, and and you know is bringing a lot to this character and you know look anything that gets people to read more James Baldwin I'm totally about so yeah uh, it's on Netflix so you know I didn't even have to send you to one of the more obscure streamers go to Netflix watch if Beale Street could talk you'll be glad you did I was a guest on the Beale Street edition of this here podcast wow and I can attest that a lot, they were like let's bring in a really knowledgeable black filmmaker and then <laughs> Clark was here. Um, 
But Alonzo specifically mentions the scene with Brian Tyree Henry in the bar as like being really beautiful work back then, a minute mm. ago. Finger right. on the pulse this man so, has. I've, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm not a come lately on the Tyree Henry train. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all those words again. I just let's think about phrasing. Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, you family show that that one you had to take it there, but I see what you're saying. It's, it's, <laughs> it's him. He inspires me. Ify, what you got? Oh, you don't know, see. Here's here's my favorite thing. Is I was so afraid that Alonzo was going to say, you know, my movie when he said he was, you know, doing a Brian Tyree Henry movie. Uh, but we're we're you know obviously of the same mind here. Uh, you know that I the film that really let me know that he was the one to look out for is when I saw Brian Tyree Henry's performance in Godzilla vs Kong. I gotta say, uh, you know, it really he lit up the scene. Every scene that he was in, showing his vulnerability, his range, his ability to bounce from being paperboy to a meek podcaster, uh, podcast fan. So uh, you know, really. I think you could do a double feature uh, with me and Alonzo's movies if you really want to have a, a BTH night. So, uh, so you know, uh, try that out. Drea, he no... didn't say Joker. We have that. At least. <laughs> you know, baby steps. Baby steps. <laughs> and before we get out of here, if you are listening in the St. Louis area, I am in your city right now, like as you're listening to it this Friday. Uh, this is probably your last chance to catch me this and Saturday. I'm performing here at the Flyover Comedy Festival. So show up and, uh, you know, um, come see me do some jokes, I guess. No, go go ask him to defend his Pacific Rim takes. <laughs> I will. With And if you're ready to be face-to-face with me that passionately, prepare yourself. Show him some love, Gateway City. <laughs> So, Dre and Alonzo, thank you for another wonderful show. You thank know, you, uh, sir. It's always a blast. Yeah. And oh, reunited, and it feels so good. So yes, good. Yes, indeed. Uh, and you, listener, thank you for listening every week. And if you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Maximum underscore film. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Maximum Film. Or send us an email at Maximum Film at Maximum Our producer is the wonderful Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.